Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. In this special episode of What Christians Should Know, I'm going to talk about the coronavirus. That is, how do we think about it, how do we make sense of it, and how do we respond biblically to the current crisis? As many listeners already know, I am a medical doctor, so in this episode, I will be providing some medical analysis of current events. For those who would like to cross-check the facts, I have provided a list of footnotes in the podcast description. Furthermore, the pastor of my local church, Ed Moore of North Shore Baptist, preached one of the most timely messages I have ever heard this past Sunday. In said sermon, he used the Bible to interpret the news and provided a sober way to think about the coronavirus in light of what the scriptures say. I have provided a link to that sermon in the podcast description and will be quoting a few lines from it in what follows. Now, unless you have been living under a rock, then you already know what the coronavirus is. It is the infection that has caused a global pandemic and is grabbing headlines and dominating conversations in many countries all over the planet. The coronavirus is very real in that as I write the script for this episode, according to the World Health Organization, globally, 184,975 people have been infected and 7,529 have died. The virus is also spreading. Accordingly, I grieve not only for the loss of human life, but also for the even more numerous family members who are grieving over the death of their loved ones. What is also very real are the effects this virus is having on everyday folks, like the collapse of stock markets resulting in vaporizing retirement funds, the closure of businesses, and the loss of jobs. I say all that to not make light of genuine human pain and to make sure that a distinction is made. This episode is not designed to speak to families who are suffering. That would require a personal touch from an individual who can provide comfort and counsel face-to-face. This episode is meant to speak to people who are fearful or anxious about the virus and who are not necessarily under severe duress. Consequently, speaking as a Christian and a medical doctor, what I find is spreading faster than the coronavirus itself are people's fears. In response to manufactured hysteria and reckless speculation, people are responding not to what the coronavirus actually is, but what it is made out to be. Hence, in what follows, I hope to provide some much-needed clarity and calm in a time of growing chaos and confusion. Truly, in uncertain times, what is always certain is the wisdom of God. Thus, our theme verse comes from 2 Chronicles 9.23, which says, And all the kings of the earth were seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. The point is that true wisdom is never earthly and finite. It is heavenly and infinite. If it's not God's wisdom, then it's not wisdom at all. This leads me to my first point, and the first point is a question. 1. What is the coronavirus exactly, and how do we think about it? What the coronavirus is, is a virus, as the name suggests. Generally speaking, it's a virus in the same way that the common cold, the flu, or a stomach bug is a virus. How we think about the coronavirus is that it is nothing new. 
what is new is the strain that was recently discovered in Wuhan, China. The new strain is commonly called COVID-19. Think about it like this. Coronaviruses have always been around in the same way red Corvettes have always been around. But the Chevy factory never made a lime green Corvette before. COVID-19 is still a Corvette, but it's the first type that's lime green. The point is that the medical community knowing that coronaviruses make people sick is old news. In fact, microbiologists have been able to detect coronaviruses for decades, and wherever investigators have looked, coronaviruses have been found. There is actually a fair chance that in winters past, you already caught a coronavirus, and what you experienced were signs and symptoms of a common cold before you got better. Now, the world is still learning about COVID-19, so by no means is our understanding complete, particularly the long-term consequences of contracting the virus, if there are any consequences. That being said, based upon what we know so far, in the people who have been confirmed to have COVID-19, the most common symptoms are fever, fatigue, and dry cough. The virus is known to spread person to person by respiratory droplets, meaning when an affected person coughs or sneezes, they project droplets into the air. If someone breathes these droplets in, they can get sick. The advice to wash hands and clean surfaces stems from the possibility that droplets stick to surfaces. How we think about the coronavirus also compels us to put things in perspective. In the 2019 to 2020 flu season, the CDC estimates the seasonal flu infected 35 million people and killed roughly 35,000 people in the United States. So far in America, as of March 18th, 2020, COVID-19 has infected 4,226 people and killed 75. That means, compared to the coronavirus, the flu has infected more than 8,200 times more people and has killed over 450 times more individuals. The mortality rate for the flu is roughly 1-2%. to The mortality rate of the coronavirus is roughly 2-3%. to Preliminary data also reveals that the coronavirus is less contagious than the flu. Now that we know what the coronavirus is, this leads to the second point. Two, how do we make sense of the coronavirus? How concerned should people actually be? If you watch the news or read the newspaper, you are persuaded to fear because every day you learn about more and more cases in more and more countries. You see the death toll of the coronavirus go up and up, and the multitude of pictures of people in biohazard suits nudges you to believe that COVID-19 is a severe threat to life. And in some cases, COVID-19 is a severe threat to life. But here's the question. We know the coronavirus is spreading, but if you actually got it, what would likely happen? And the answer is, most people will have no symptoms to mild symptoms. Let me say that again. For the average person who gets the coronavirus, roughly 80% will have no to mild symptoms. And by mild symptoms, I mean feeling like you have the cold or the seasonal flu. 
And since there is no specific treatment for coronavirus, 8 out of 10 people will improve by themselves without taking medication whatsoever. This explains why the current treatment is supportive, not curative. More than 9 out of 10 people will improve with standard medical treatment. What is reassuring is that symptomatic infection of COVID-19 tends to be less common in children, meaning if kids get the virus, they tend to do much better than adults and do not tend to experience more severe symptoms. So generally speaking, is there reason to think that the coronavirus is the modern version of the bubonic plague? Well, no, once you consider that an overwhelming majority of people will get over it without medicine. Now, let us all be mindful in what I just said. I was speaking in general terms about the quote-unquote average person. Average refers to someone in their 20s to 50s without any serious health problems. So it goes without saying that if you are very old or have a complicating medical condition, then your prognosis is poor for any disease that you get. By complicating medical condition, I mean those who have a compromised immune system or who have decreased lung function. Examples include those with active cancer, chronic lung disease, chronic kidney disease, and diabetes. This now leads me to the final point. 3. How do we respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis? As we argue from the lesser to the greater, what I hope you now realize is that naturally speaking, the coronavirus does pose a risk, just not one that is insurmountable and should therefore not be overwhelming nor cause mass hysteria. However, while the world waits and hopes in food pantries, scientists, governments, and politicians, Christians hope in God. We know that the coronavirus is not sovereign because God is. As Pastor Ed preached, quote, there is no shock in the throne room of heaven right now, end quote. We know that this pandemic did not catch Christ by surprise and that all of reality remains in his complete control. Thus, how we respond to the coronavirus crisis is quite simple. We respond knowing that we are not at the whim of circumstances, but we trust in the one who tells reality what to do. That one is not only omnipotent, he is also our Heavenly Father. Our Father tenderly cares for us and will not leave us because he is with us. Isaiah 41.10 So we respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis, trusting in the sovereign God. Psalm 33.11 tells us that whatever the Lord wills comes to pass. This tells us what? That in His permissive will, God allowed this current crisis to happen. It is beyond my spiritual pay grade to explain why God allowed it all to happen as the secret things belong to God. Deuteronomy 29.29 What I can explain is that Christ could have stopped the crisis, but He didn't. Therefore, although totally unclear to me in the moment, God's plan is good because it is God's plan. God always does what is wise, right, just, and good. Therefore, He has a good purpose in permitting everything to happen. Jesus knows exactly how and where the virus originated, and He already knows where it's moving next. And He has complete power to restrain it or not. Nothing else is stronger than King Jesus, and he is never ever coerced into tolerating something that is against his will. Here's the second Pastor Ed quote. 
The closer you are to God, the closer you are to peace. End quote. When the Christian actually trusts in the sovereignty of God, they are neither anxious or worried because this is the plan. If your steps are ordained by God's sovereignty and governed by His providence, what exactly do you ever have to be afraid of? We respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis, knowing that sickness is a normal part of life in a fallen world. With the fall of man, sin entered into the world. As a result of sin, the created order, including our bodies, was subjected to corruption, disease, and decay. Sickness was never a part of the Lord's original design, but is now common to all people. And the reality is, all living things die one way or another. Indeed, God's redemption saves the elect from condemnation, but it does not redeem us from sickness or death. Christians will die of disease just like everyone else, yet the sting of death is removed because of what Christ has accomplished. 1 Corinthians 15.55 There will be a day when we are set free from our fallen physical bodies, but until that time, we wait on the Lord. Romans 8.20-23 So sickness is a normal part of life in a fallen world. So when we look around and see or experience illness, we do so understanding that sin is the ultimate cause of disease overall. Even as our sinless substitute, the Son of God did not escape bodily harm as He hung on the cross. Still, for those who are in Christ, we know that bodily disease is not punitive. It is sanctifying as we grieve with hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 and 5.9 For the Christian, disease can have purifying effects that draw us closer to the Lord. We draw closer to Him by having less and less faith in health or the condition of our temporary bodies. Disease then, for God's children, can act as a means of grace to take the person away from sin and into God's arms. Truly, in God's kingdom, some people suffer with and die from many diseases. Although we are disciplined, we are not condemned when we die like the rest of the world. 1 Corinthians 11, 29-32 This gives us a lasting reason to hope. We respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis, knowing that judgment is normal for a holy God. As I alluded to before, God sometimes uses calamity to bring judgment upon those who reject Him and give themselves to sin. This calamity may include sickness. For examples, see Numbers 12, 1-2, 2 Kings 20, 1-11, Acts 12, 23, and Romans 1, 18-27. Now notice what I did not say. I did not say that the coronavirus is a specific judgment for specific sins on specific people. What the Bible makes clear is a general principle that God has and will execute judgment on sin in general. See Deuteronomy 28, 15-68. The form of this judgment may be bodily disease. Yet, for the elect, the point of God's judgment is always grace. When life goes on as it normally does, God whispers to us, but in times of strife, God is yelling. And what is God saying? Repent. In the midst of calamity, God calls all men everywhere to turn from their sin and to realign their lives with God's will. 
This is exactly the point that Jesus makes in Luke 13. There, people ask Jesus, why did that catastrophe happen to those seemingly innocent people? Jesus' response was those who suffered were no worse sinners than those who were spared. He then says in Luke 13:5, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Times of turmoil are reminders that there is nothing in this world that will not pass away and nothing in this world that is worthy of our faith. So when the world around us crumbles, we look to the only one who will never pass away and who is worthy of our faith, God alone. Beloved, have you ever considered that the coronavirus is a temptation, that it's a test, that what you really think about God will be exposed in this time of trial, that your faith is being tried in the furnace of adversity for a reason? Do you ultimately trust that a surgical mask or the number of times you wipe your countertops with bleach, do you actually believe that in the end those works will keep you safe? Or is it all ultimately in God's hands? So will you doubt God or will you trust Him? In Amos 4, 1-13, the prophet lists natural tragedy after natural tragedy. God's intent in allowing those calamities was for the people to wake up from their sinful slumber, but repeatedly the Lord says, Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. God subsequently warns the people in verse 13, Prepare to meet your God. Beloved, as I ask you a sobering question, I also ask myself, The greatest threat to any human being is not the coronavirus, nor the stock market crashing, nor not having enough food stocked in your basement. Here is Pastor Ed quote number three. Sin is far more dangerous than any natural illness. End quote. The greatest threat to any human being is God himself. To be outside of Christ and a sinner that falls into the hands of an angry God is the most dreadful, terrible, abominable thing that could ever happen. Only God can save you from the wrath of God, and only Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. Do you know Him? In fact, more importantly, does Jesus know you? Have we reflected on the fact that eternity matters more than the present? Have we returned to the Lord and called on the Messiah? Beloved, prepare to meet your God. As Jesus says in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What will ultimately save any person is not quarantine, a cure, or a vaccine. It is Jesus Christ. The message for right now in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic is the same message that the Lord began preaching 2,000 years ago. That message is repent and believe in the gospel. Your sins will only condemn you. Only the free gift of salvation by faith in Christ will redeem you. The good news is that Christ provides mercy to all who earnestly seek Him. As Paul writes in Romans 1, 16-17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Repent and seek God's mercy to bring all of our lives into alignment with His will so that we are a people who simply live for the glory of God.
Finally, we respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis, knowing that even if things look bad to us, God is working all things together for good for those who love Him. I want you to consider that the coronavirus pandemic is a good thing. I do not say that in a glib, dismissive fashion, knowing that many people have died, many are hurting, and many have had their lives disrupted. And notice what else I did not say. I did not say that evil is good. I did not say that sin is good. What I am saying is that God allowing this crisis to happen is a good thing. What I mean is that perhaps some people were holding on to something phony, like complacency and idol or carnal comforts. They were holding on to a false security blanket and that object of trust is now failing them. Whether that object was an expectation, their retirement fund, or a governmental institution. Perhaps with everything going on in the world right now, whatever it is they were relying on has now proven itself to be unreliable. Where then will they turn? Perhaps crisis will be the door where God's whisper is now thunder and lightning and people will seek for the Lord in times of distress as opposed to forgetting Him in times of prosperity. God allowing the crisis to happen is therefore good, for when one soul is saved, the angels in heaven rejoice. Here's a Bible fact. God tries faith in adversity, and no one truly trusts God unless that faith is assaulted and a man is tempted to distrust God. As Dr. Warren Worsby always says, a faith never tested is a faith never to be trusted. See Hebrews chapter 11. Crisis, therefore, not only brings people to the Lord for the first time, it also refines the faith of those who are already children of God. As David famously says in Psalm 23, 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here, David did not imply that he was without fear. He simply said that he had no reason to fear when the good shepherd was leading him. My question to you today is, who was leading you? I realize that thinking about calamity positively gives some people a headache or a heartache, or both. Indeed, God's providence may seem dark to us now because we are only able to see obscure small pieces. But there will be a time in paradise where God's grand plan will be brought to light and we will then be able to see God's love, mercy, and grace working through the bad times to bring about God's glory. God's way never avoids the valley of the shadow of death. It goes through. God's way never avoids the cross because that is the only way to the resurrection. So, we respond biblically to the coronavirus crisis knowing that even if things look bad to us, God is working all things together for good for those who love Him. What does that mean for us, practically speaking? that Christians are free to live for God and love their neighbor. This means we always act with wisdom, but we never allow an obsession with self-preservation to inhibit us from demonstrating biblical love to those around us. We don't choose temporal safety now if that undercuts risk-taking for God and His latter glory. We can do this with confidence, knowing that our heavenly treasure is far better than an earthly one. 
See Acts 21.13 and Hebrews 10.34. Even if we meet resistance, God is still sovereign. Therefore, all possible assailants against us are in God's hands, and they can never harm us beyond God's will. We simply trust, beloved, that God will take care of his children. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. During the 19th century, there was a health crisis in England. A cholera outbreak came to London. At that time, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was still alive. In a dire health crisis, these were his words back then to encourage the saints of God. Quote, Now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already, and if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds hurt, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became a man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is a life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour and to say to the dying thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. End quote. Beloved, God knew who you were before you were born. He knew that you would be alive at this precise time, so if you existed any time or any place else, it would not be in the will of God. The Lord has made us for this time and has given us an opportunity for such a time as this. While the rest of the world is paralyzed and consumed by fear, let us be driven to act in love, faith, and courage. Let us reflect the love and light of Jesus Christ through simple acts of everyday kindness. God intends to glorify the Son by strengthening men and women to act Christ-like, especially in times like these when everyone else is acting world-like. Let us pray that the Spirit strengthens us and then uses us to fulfill our micro-purposes in the grand majesty of the kingdom of heaven. O Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.